This isn't just any careers talk podcast. This is the Breaking into Competitive Sectors Advertising Podcast. Hello, and with an intro like that, it must be Careers Talk. I'm Kerry Eustace. The cliche claims it doesn't come more cutthroat than advertising, but is this really true? We'll be asking Michelle Greenhall, Head of Graduate Recruitment at Saatchi & Saatchi, what it really takes to make it as an ad exec. Plus, the careers guru, Julian Lindley, returns to talk CVs in Dear Julian. But before all that, we're going to share our picks of this week's careers news. Here to help, I have Harriet Compare the Meerkat, Minta, and Ali, their waffly, versatile white. And um, their slogans, by the way, I know they're really ridiculous, so I'm sorry. I love them. I love the Meerkat. Really? Ali, what story have you picked out? Okay, this is the news that um, the use of social media websites at work, such as Facebook and Twitter, are costing employers lots of money, according to a poll by myjobsgroup.co.uk. Um, they looked at how many people, you know, by the, the respondents, how much they use social media during their working day. And it found that 55% admitted to using these social media sites during work hours. And, you know, uh, that's fine. And then they broke it down a bit more with one in third of those who are polled spending more than 30 minutes on the likes of Twitter, MySpace and Facebook, mm. apparently. And 6% spend more than an hour per day on these sites, which, you know, it's one eighth of the working day. <laughs> Um, so the the article I was reading was saying that this could actually cost employers billions in lost time and oh, even yeah. potentially up to 14 billion in lost productivity. Wow, that's a lot of money. <laughs> so they think it's a big deal. Um, you know, two thirds of those polls advocated some form of access during these work hours. I think, you know, thought it was a bit draconian to ban it altogether. But I think the issue is how much time some people are spending on them. Yeah, I suppose it is a little bit of a worry if you're going to get caught in that sort of trap. But there's been another story that's come out this week that said that actually companies and and graduates as well should be embracing social media more in the workplace, you know, sort of like tweeting professionally and all that sort of (laughs) stuff, you know, using it. Um, to manage brand and to mm. mark for marketing. It's funny because you do feel guilty when you've got Facebook up and work and, you know, using it for work purpose mm-hmm. and you're thinking, I'm not on here emailing all my mates, I promise. <laughs> but, you know, I think the balance has to be there. It's and true. I suppose it depends what job you do as well, whether it's relevant to what you're doing. So I'd actually recommend that if graduates sort of understand social media and based on this study that 90% of companies wish that they were using it more effectively, if you went into an interview or in your CV, you sort of devise a strategy for that company that they could use mm-hmm. and you could then take on that responsibility in the job I think you'd be you'd stand a real chance you'd be a real asset okay I am talking on that line about graduates showing entrepreneurial spirit the association of graduate recruiters has brought out this um, survey which says that graduates when they're in a job interview are actually worried about showing entrepreneurial spirit Mm. and they're worried that by telling employers about businesses they've started or plans they have for future businesses, they make themselves look unreliable or as though they're the sort of person that might say to an interview, where do you want to be in five years' time? In your seat. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was quite interesting because we actually had a blog post on the career site a few weeks ago by Doug Richards, who is an ex-Dragon's Denner. And um, he was saying that actually he really likes employing entrepreneurial people because they tend to be more commercially aware, which at the end of the day is what employers want. So if you're entrepreneurial, he thinks they tend to know where their time is best spent. They tend to be more aware of the bottom line and how much they're costing companies compared to how much they're bringing in. 
And whilst they might not stay there forever, what you get out of them in the time they are there is what much more valuable. I mean, I can see why. It must be quite scary if you're a graduate in an interview. On the one hand, you want to say, I love this company and I want to work mm. for you forever. But if you've started another business, you should be proud of that. Yeah. You should be proud of what you've achieved. Okay, my story is based on a blog that uh, Ian Gooden, who's Chief Operating Officer of Talent Consultancy, Cemento, wrote for us about asking whether it's time for us to step away from the career ladder and instead embrace the career carousel. That's very pretty. What does that mean? (laughs) Okay, what that means is, you know, typically um, career success and progression has been viewed as you take a sort of series of jobs, maybe each one or each couple or so take you higher up the pecking order of a company or of a sector. But because of the recession and the way that organisations are changing, becoming smaller and flatter, where because maybe of redundancies or efficiencies, they're taking layers out so they're less managers, there aren't so many uh, promotion opportunities anymore. So people are having to sort of reassess the way they look at their career. So instead of you're only going to climb the ladder, Mm. you might be sort of, uh, taking a sidestep, changing career or taking on more responsibility in your current role so that that role changes a little bit because that's what they're doing in the inf- in these efficiency measures, giving more responsibilities to frontline staff. So that's the model. And he says because there are fewer opportunities for promotion, in order to staff and employees to stop becoming demotivated and dissatisfied with work, they need to embrace this idea of the career carousel more as the model that perhaps that they should adopt. Do you think you'd be happy doing that? Do you? Would you feel, still feel motivated in 10 years' time if you were still in the same place, essentially? Well, it wouldn't be so much in the same place because you might be changing it into a different sector where the benefits are different. So where maybe status isn't the benefit that you get anymore. It might be something more like flexible working mm. or overseas travel or a job that embraces more your personal passions than perhaps you were doing before. So there are going to be different priorities for what we see as a perk as opposed to just status and pay. Yeah, I find this quite difficult to comprehend because... Obviously, I am a child of the 80s and it's been (laughs) driven into my blood from birth that you have to stamp on people's shoulders and your biggest stilettos as you climb up the career ladder. There's a part of me that would worry that I wasn't going anywhere. Yeah, I agree. I'd be ticking away. I agree that there is that pressure that everyone puts on themselves. Like when I graduated um, from our sort of postgraduate newspaper journalism course, everyone wanted to go to a daily straight away, go as post a weekly newspaper because they're thinking out your higher deadlines, you know, get my stories. But in the end, I think the people that went to the weeklies probably had a bit more of a nicer career progression because you get to get the bigger stories. You're in a smaller team, you're on the front page. And so I think sometimes you put so much pressure on yourself, but it might be the best way for you to sort of in almost like a slow burning career progression perhaps rather than shooting up the ladder well this is one of the arguments that Ian makes you know we do need to shift our focus I mean if you think back the power jobbers like Harriet to the 80s you know the recession in the 80s was when people started to forget about the job for life idea you know it used to be used to stay in the job for life it wasn't so that's been a change and this should also be a change and think about the different rewards that you can get in a career that aren't necessarily always sort of rising to chief exec level not that we're going to stop doing it is it? No, okay. <laughs> I won't retire my shoulder pads quite <laughs> 
Now, we've certainly missed him and we're pretty sure you will have too. Yes, creative director at Bauer, Julian Lindley, returns to the podcast this week with some advice for someone who is frustrated by CV liars. Hi, this is Julian Lindley back again to answer your career queries and help you with your work dilemmas. This week we have a letter um, from Netbug. This is an issue that affects an awful lot of people. Uh, a friend of mine has secured a number of jobs by upgrading the qualifications on their CV. Times are hard for us all, but why lie and take good jobs away from graduates who have genuinely earned their way through? What can be done about this? Well, Netbug, this is something that a lot of people experience with their friends. It's not fair. It's technically against the law. However, it's just one of those things that is always going to happen. And my advice would be, don't worry about it. Concentrate on your own career. Um, You'll encounter unfairness throughout your entire career on lots of different levels. It starts, of course, with CVs and interviews. As you work your way through, people will be promoted because it's perceived that they work harder, where in actual fact you might know that they don't. People will be given pay rises for things that they haven't necessarily contributed on. They'll be given bonuses that you think, I deserve that. The unfortunate reality is this will always come up. My advice would be don't worry about other people. Concentrate on your own CV, your own career and your own issues. So, I mean, obviously it isn't fair for someone to have lied on their CV and to have got a better job as a result of it. However, you know, I would approach it by thinking, would you want to live with that guilt? Would you want to live with that knowledge that you might get caught out someday? It's unfair and it really is something that you could be fired for. And I would rather not have that hanging over my head every day that I was at work. But also, I'd rather get a job based on my own, you know, my ability, my merit. Now, instead of worrying what other people are doing with their CVs, I would worry about my own. So I got my first job by making sure that my CV was as different as possible from everyone else's that I knew would land on the pile. I simply printed mine on colour paper. I made a collage. I know this is not appropriate to every career. I know that. I was going for a creative job, therefore I thought I'm going to make my CV as creative as possible. I didn't have any of the qualifications that were appropriate for the job I was going for, which was a celebrity editor on the magazine. I'd never studied journalism, but I didn't lie about that. What I did instead was I demonstrated my passion and enthusiasm, my interest in that area, and that was enough to get me an interview. When I am interviewing for jobs, sifting through CVs, I am looking for something that's going to stand out. I'm looking for someone's relevant experience or somehow how they demonstrate their passion for the job that they're going for. And actually, it doesn't really matter what your qualifications are once you've got to that stage, in my opinion, because you're doing it, you're demonstrating it live in front of who's ever interviewing you. So to sum up, I'd say, yeah, absolutely. It's totally wrong to lie on your CV. Never, ever do it. However, my advice to you net bug would be to stop worrying about other people and concentrate on your own career if you've had enough of series altogether perhaps some advice from our guide for graduate entrepreneurs q a is in order ali have you got some highlights for us I do, I do. First of all, because um, this Q&A run by Harriet was partly inspired by Universities Minister David Willett saying graduates should look at non-traditional jobs, you know, rather than the usual graduate schemes, even sort of mentioned being cocktail waitresses, but of course he mentioned starting your own business. So one of our panellists had some interesting thoughts on this because he says, traditionally, the role of universities has been to prepare students for a career. 
and entrepreneurship is still fighting for space along the big employer brands. Um, so the difference is no one until now has had a vested interest in actually pushing this, uh, the best graduates into entrepreneurship. He's sort of given a warning that the irony now there is a significant interest in generating more graduate entrepreneurs. So support might actually be a bit more difficult to come by than if you just sort of thought it off the top of your head five years ago. But he says, don't be, you know, downhearted. You know, all the entrepreneurs he's ever met are often battling across uh, against the odds. But and then that doesn't stop him. So, <laughs> so, you know, I think the advice there is to just put everything into it if you want to do so. And next up, uh, there's, I thought this was a really interesting saying. It said, there used to be a saying about the three Fs that invest in startup businesses, friends, families and fools. <laughs> <laughs> saying investment when you're starting up is difficult to get. It's mostly friends or families that know your work will be the first real investors. So, But do take advice before looking for investment because it might not even be the right step for you. And another panelist pointed out that he knows a few young startups who have investment, who have gone and got this investment, only to feel a bit sort of that obligation that it gives them is a bit of a stranglehold and that adds to their stress levels, you know, it's hanging over your head all the time. So maybe if you can get away with it, try and start up with some bit of money and support from your family and friends, and then perhaps look at investment a bit further down the line. But last of all, like if you do want funding, because of course it's going to be relevant to a lot of people who are starting their own business, before approaching anyone, set out on paper what your product and service actually is. What, you know, what are you looking to commercialise? What differentiates your product and service from other ones? Who are your customers? One of our panellists said it sounds a bit simple, but do take that time to research and construct a compelling case and you've got the best chance of getting some money and you know, some startup funding. Now, would you ever consider buying Google AdWords to attract the attention of an MD or perhaps using social media to get a personalised message in front of your dream agency? Well, these are just some of the lengths successful ad execs have gone to in order to land themselves a great job in advertising without even touching on how many graduates go for each role. Oh, okay. well, 6,000 of you joined the Saatchi and Saatchi Facebook group challenge for which the prize was a spot on the market leading agency's graduate scheme. The creativity and determination needed to make your mark in the sector can be rather daunting. But before you go all madmen on us, we're joined by Michelle Greenhall, Head of Graduate Recruitment at Saatchi & Saatchi, who's going to share some advice and ideas on what you can do to stand out, as well as more info on what the industry is really like. Hello, Michelle. Hello there. Thank you for coming in. Thank you. It's great to be here. Um, as well as your role in grad recruitment, you also work as a client partner, don't do. you? So what does that entail? And can you also touch on some of the other options in advertising? Of course. Um, as a client partner at Saatchi & Saatchi, I look after um, one of our major clients, our biggest client, which is called Visa Europe, which is debit and credit. And I am the primary contact for the client. So I liaise with the client and I oversee every aspect of the of the advertising process with them. So I look after the budgets, the, the relationship with them, and, and basically oversee every facet of, of the, the advertising creation. Um, we, as account handlers, we're the people that make things happen. So we, we don't come up with the ideas. The creatives come up with the ideas and develop the exciting bit of it, I guess. There's the creative side of it. There's also, you've got uh, planning. They help develop the strategy and a brief which the creatives work from. And that creates the, the great ideas that we, we then go and make happen. There's also really important people as part of this um, process too and getting great ideas made, um, which is the production people. And they're the people who produce the ideas. So that could be anything from TV, digital, radio, print, 
anything. And they commission photographers, um, commercials directors, film directors, digital you know, directors, anybody to actually make the creative ideas happen. Is there one option more popular than the other? No. no well, <laughs> I mean... It's funny, when you're at a party, everybody, you know, you say you work in advertising and everybody says, oh, you must come up with the ideas. And, and then you have to explain, no, I actually, uh, I'm the person that liaises with the with the client and it doesn't sound quite as sexy. But um, I love what I do as an account handler. I have been an account handler for an extremely long time. Personally, for me, it, it's the best job. But there's lots of different ways of getting into, into the industry. And I think... Um, when I first started in advertising, I got told that it was where art meets commerce. And I think mm. that's quite an interesting way of, it's, I think it still stands. And it's, uh, there's a lot of discipline, you know, that requires to make art uh, actually mean something for business and, and for people. Can you tell me a bit about how you broke into the industry then? Um, I started straight out of school for some reason. I, I don't quite know why, but from the age of 12, I just I felt a calling. I loved it. And um, I was really interested in ads and, and, and ideas and how you connect with people. So um, I scoured the newspaper for, for job ads. And um, I obviously don't come from this country. I come from New Zealand. And there was a job going as an office junior slash production assistant, earning an absolute pittance <laughs> at an advertising agency. And I, um, I applied for it. And it was quite a competitive time and um, it was the late 80s and uh, I was up against um, a chap who I still remember his name to this day and he was the son of somebody quite famous in New Zealand and and big in arts and it was dumb between the two of us and uh, yeah I finally I think it was my persistence and my uh, and yeah that, that paid off and in the end I ended up getting the job and I just started at the bottom and I think I that helped fuel my passion and um, my belief in what I was doing and it was the right thing. Every kind of ambitious or um, New Zealander gets um, a two-year overseas experience you know you get a visa to come and work in, in the UK and so I got on the aeroplane and never having been here before I landed and I didn't know anybody and I obviously still wanted to work in advertising so I had to start again and I focused on there was one agency that I really loved and I really really wanted to work for and I discovered that the uh, creative director had the same surname as I did so I wrote him this kind of mad letter saying <laughs> that we'd basically been separated at birth and, um, and that, you know, we were destined to be joined together and, and united <laughs> in work. And it was kind of a little bit strange, but he liked it, called me in. And, uh, yeah, we got on very well and put me forward for, for, for a job. Unfortunately, I was up against somebody else who was, had worked in another, um, in a partner agency somewhere else in the world. And, uh, I missed out on it, but I persisted, and I actually then wrote to the managing director and said, look, I've had a good interview, I really enjoyed it, I love your work, I love this aspect of the campaigns that you've been developing, um, and just really you know, kind of made myself quite visible and, and had a good point of view and was quite passionate about their, their agency. So I got in to see them again, and I just, I just didn't say no, and I got the job, and um, yeah, the rest is kind of history, really. <laughs> I'm definitely going to talk to you some more about the creative measures advertising yes. professionals go to to get work. But when you went for your first job, did you have any previous experience? Do you think anybody who didn't would be able to break into the sector now? Absolutely. I think because advertising is about, we take our um, inspiration from film, art, literature, business, all manner of things, I think absolutely anybody that's got an interest in that and can understand how that connects with people and how you can get a reaction from people 
um, I think ab- absolutely. And if you can bring a fresh perspective to that, and we've seen that through our graduate program this year, um, and the ways that they've they've connected with us, I think absolutely. Sometimes the the fresher perspective and the unsullied aspect to a bright-eyed young person that hasn't had any experience absolutely is what we're looking for and what we need to challenge us. Um, you mentioned uh, your separated at birth letter that you sent, you sent to the, the company director. And I mentioned in my intro some of the other uh, lengths that people have gone to to break into the sector. So there's somebody who bought the Google AdWords so that a message popped up when the MD Googled himself. And we had a recent Q&A and one of the experts said if you could use Facebook or some other social media to get a personalised message in front of them, you'd really make an impact. Um, do you think that without going to those sort of lengths that you might not be able to break in? Or is it is that the sort of standard that you're going to have to meet? Um, there is no one size fits all. The one th- piece of advice that I would give to anybody, you know, whether it was the letter that I wrote or the Google ad search, which I think is genius, yeah. or the Facebook, you know, trying to get, um, I think you should not have a one size fits all approach as, a, as somebody trying to break into the industry. I, I think that you should be focused and targeted on, on who you want to work for, why you want to work there, and then just go absolutely to to, to get that job. I have received very obvious blanket letters from, from people who, it just shows that I don't know if they really care about, you know, wanting to work at my agency and wanting to work with me. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, I want a delivery of cupcakes, um, you know, every day for the next seven, seven days. I'm not saying that at all. But somebody that shows the depth of understanding, they understand what I care about, what I might have worked on, what, what my agency has produced, absolutely is always going to um, pique my interest a lot more than just a, a, a standard general, you know, I'm interested in advertising. Would you come and, you know, would you talk to me? Mm. Would, um, have you got any examples of people that have impressed you that way? Well, I mean, the graduate program we've run this year, I think, um, is the best example, to be honest. And I think, I mean, we're quite proud of it, too, because, you know... Can you just describe a little bit more sure, about what it is? of course. Um, we, historically, um, recruitment campaigns, what's happened is that advertising agencies have gone out to a lot of the, the, the big um, universities, and it's called the Milk Run, and they go and present their case uh, for their agency and why you should why you should come and work there. What we did was we ran it completely online and um, we ran it through Facebook and we created an application um, and 6,000 people registered as fans on Facebook and then they got set a challenge and 800 people took up that first challenge and that was to set up a Facebook group and try and attract as many people as you could to to that Facebook group. Unfortunately for us, it was so successful in the case of two people that actually um, one woman or two of them actually got over a quarter of a million um, responses. Amazing. Yeah, one woman. I mean, it is fantastic. It's a really good story. She was so successful that she attracted um, some venture capitalist money and has gone off and set up her own her own business. Which She's lost I, exactly, which I think is wonderful. And it, you know, that they're the kind of people that we want: entrepreneurial, spirited, and interesting, and, and creative, and lateral. So we lost her. Um, um, basically, we got down from the 800 down to, to 10 that we accepted and who are all, who are all great. Um, and they're just finishing today, actually, after their six weeks. But as part of that process, they got set a number of challenges. They had to remake their favourite ad of all time, present it, explain <laughs> why they liked it. And that was really interesting because you had some wonderful, wonderful ideas out of that. One woman, she baked 
well, the Skoda um, baking, um, yeah. you know, making yeah. of a car. She recreated that and did such a wonderful job with it. So that was really, really good. She did it, yeah, she did an excellent job. Somebody uh, actually recreated um, an ad that I worked on, uh, a visa ad for the Football World Cup, the FIFA World Cup this year, recreated that completely in Lego um, with all of the actions and the background, which was fantastic. So they remade their favourite ads. We had um, an interview on Skype. Uh, there was an online knowledge test as well. And we managed to whittle it down to, to 20 people that we then bought into the agency and interviewed them face to face. So there were a lot of great ideas coming through from that. Do you think you'll continue to run that? I mean, it's definitely a great way to test people, but it's also quite a gruelling process, really, yeah. in order to get onto your scheme. Yes, um, and possibly one that scares the bejesus out of me, <laughs> that if I were doing it now, yeah, I, uh, it's tough. Um, yes, I think so. I mean, we're talking about what that gives us and the types of people that that gives us. Obviously, we're looking for creatively minded people and the ability to think to, to, to think on their feet, to be creative, to develop great ideas and appreciate the creation of great ideas. So, yes, I think, I think we will continue. We might tweak it. The other thing we've done, and I think this is the important thing, um, I was really keen this year to make sure that they had some practical, really, they, they all get put into account teams, so they all work on a client. And so they have to make themselves, the brief was, make yourselves indispensable. They got briefed on a live pitch. And that, if anybody understands what a pitch is, is, you know, it's on, on average, it's, well, six weeks longer of trying to get a client to work with you as, as the advertising agency. And so they had to go through exactly the same process, but they did it with us as the agency, the senior management personnel. They did it as us as the client. They've had to act like they were working in a proper agency on a proper pitch and I think that's challenged them the most out of all of it. Based on the feedback that you've had from them about those challenges and perhaps you know people that you speak to in general do you think when they're coming in entry level they have an accurate perception of what it's like to work in advertising? I don't think they were thinking that it was madmen. I don't think they were thinking that. And I've always been amazed by how Don Draper can get home for six o'clock and he lives in Connecticut. I mean, I just, <laughs> that's not the way we live or not get home sometimes as well. Um, you know, that I don't think that they were thinking it was madman style. I definitely think that they've had to work incredibly hard and none of them were shy of working hard but I do know that a couple of them were saying oh my lord I'm feeling very 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 tired because I've had to work until two or three in the morning now you know I mean we do work hard not every day like that I don't want to put anybody off it but yeah you you do I think because people people are our asset and it's the people that make it and I think what as part of our graduate program what we're really committed to is uh, they get mentored, but they also we organise to have all of the senior management and the people across the across the agency come and talk to them and give them advice and and guidance and a bit of perspective on what they do so that they can help form a picture of what advertising is all about and where they might want to to work. So uh, I think that they've been quite well. They've said it to me this morning anyway. They've been quite inspired by the commitment and the dedication of the the most senior management right down to the most junior people receptionist who care about what we do and care about the ideas and the creativity. I think that's that's been quite an eye opener for some of them definitely because you know, we're competing against um, the city, we're competing against publishing, we're competing against you know the arts for for good people, and I think. 
things like the recession, it's actually stood us in quite good stead because we have had 6,000 people respond to, to the Facebook um, you know, um, application this year. And last year, it, when we did it offline, it wasn't the case. It was more like you know, 800 or, or 1,000. So I think we are attracting you know, good applicants, definitely. You mentioned the recession. There was a lot of stories around about how it affected advertising. Um, is the sector recovering now? Are there more jobs around? I think we have been hit, you know, tough. You know, we've done okay. We do lose people, I I think, across the board. Um, I'm not sure of the actual percentage. I'm not Martin Sorrell, but uh, I think, you know, around 20% of people globally have have gone. So that's been quite tough. I think that advertising, we're at our best, actually, when we're in a recession, because I think you have to be resourceful, you have to be creative, you have to find ways of connecting with people. We produced T-Mobile, uh, one of our big clients is T-Mobile, and we produced an, an ad called Dance, which, or a campaign called Dance, which is all around the idea of life's for sharing, and it was in Liverpool Street Station on a horrible winter's yucky day, and um, we got 300 people in Liverpool Street Station to dance. And that just captured people's you know, imagination, attention, it made people smile and laugh, and it's those types of things in the depths of a recession that actually connect with people and, and you know, make the world a, a, a better place. So I think, yeah, I'd like to think that uh, we're recovering, but I, I think it brings out the best in us too. What about um, top tips for budding ad people? Be yourself. Be really clear on what it is you want. Be focused. Be passionate. Don't take no for an answer. Be tenacious. Be clever. Be lateral. Just think for yourself. And I think just really understand who you're trying to, you know, who is the agency that you want to talk to who and you want to work with? What is it that you want to do? The people that you need to talk to to get in there, what do they like? How are you going to capture their attention? But just be yourself because that's the only way. I mean, that's the only way that I know and it stood me in good stead. And all I can say is that every time I've ever gone for a job, if I've really wanted it, you know, I've only ever got it. And the ones that I've gone for that I wasn't 100% sure, it shows. And I, you know, I haven't got. And I think that shows. And I think that's really, really important is just be yourself because you are competing with lots of people. There's lots of different ways to get in, you know. I could say read Campaign Magazine and that's absolutely what you should be doing if you want to get into advertising to understand who the agencies are, what the kind of work they're doing. Obviously looking at websites, that's just standard stuff. You know, looking at the IPA website, thinking about how people are reacting to things, having a good point of view on on the latest ideas and the latest ways that people are connecting, you know, media and things like that. You know, you should have an interest for that anyway. But just be yourself because there is no one answer. Thanks very much, Michelle. Thank you. Thanks again to Michelle Greenhall. We're clearly feeling rather dramatic on the careers desk this week as Harriet's devised a theatrical-themed jobs top ten. The wonderful Jefferson Davis from Guardian Jobs is here to help Ali reveal the chart. Straight in at ten, it's a general manager with Payne's Plough Theatre Company. At nine, the Lyric Theatre Hammersmith are looking for a visitor services manager. And at eight is a production manager via Gabriel Skelton Limited. It's a web and media officer for the Mayflower Theatre at seven. While six is a part-time theatre manager for RADA. We're into the second half at five with an audio-visual technician for King's College London. And at four, the Big Wheel Theatre is looking for workshop presenters. It's an accounts assistant with Playful Productions at three. Waiting for its big break at two is a director at the Bridport Arts Theatre. 
But at number one, the star of our show is an associate director, literary associate for Headlong Theatre. Well, this ad break is nearly over, but before you switch off, here's what's coming up on the site next week. Okie doke, Monday the 9th, we've got mobile technology and app development. Tuesday the 10th, how do I become a radiographer? On the 11th of August, Wednesday, we have women in the housing industry. And rounding up the week for us, Thursday the 12th of August, what is it like to be a music producer? And that's it for this week. Thanks very much to our guests, Michelle Greenhall, Jefferson Davis from Guardian Jobs, and our excellent team, Harriet Minter and Ali White. Careers Talk was produced by Kate Taylor. I'm Kerry Eustace, and until next week, goodbye. Goodbye.